Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is The Ziggler Show, where our goal is to inspire your true performance. In this episode, complaining is poisoning our success. I mean, you want more success and better fruition for your life. What you are about to have revealed is possibly your greatest, most detrimental bad habit. Mine too. As English is the international business language, complaining is the international language we use in relationships with other humans, oddly enough. In this show, I bring you Will Bowen. He's the founder and purveyor of an initiative called A Complaint-Free World. You will hear why his fans include Maya Angelou and Oprah Winfrey, and he's been featured on the Today Show, CBS Sunday Morning, ABC Evening News, and and much more. 12 million of his purple complaint-free world bracelets have been sent to people in over 106 countries. I think your mind's going to be blown just to realize how prevalent this divisive and destructive habit is in our culture and from our own mouths. Following this revelation, we're going to cover exactly why we and others complain so, so often. It's disheartening, but also convicting and something you can start reversing immediately. Not easily, mind you, of course, but uh, when you understand how your complaining is undermining your life, you'll understand why it's just quite possibly the number one thing we can do to address our overall peace, joy, fulfillment, and life success. Will provides us with a methodology to decrease our complaining with a complaint-free challenge. Uh, you can also engage like I have been with him, go to a complaint free world.org. You'll find his book, a complaint free world there, or you can find it of course, wherever you buy books, there's been about 3 million copies sold. So I'll bring Will Bowen to you right after sharing some great products and services. Will, I got to tell you that what caught my attention, there's a lot to catch uh, your attention, someone's attention in your message, but the initial one was the question that you pose of how can we want more and yet complain about what we have. And I think my mind was on that bent because I had recently interviewed Mark Batterson and he has uh, his book uh, that came out recently, Double Blessing, and he talked about that, kind of speaking against the prosperity gospel about with more blessing comes more complication. And I resonated with that. If somebody had put me in a place uh, 15 years ago and said, hey, Kevin, would you like, in essence, the existence that I have today, a uh, house and kids and cars and businesses, I would have said, shoot, yes, bring it on, please. That would be a dream. And yet today... How often do I, as you know, find myself complaining about these great blessings? And, you know, on that tangent, when people, when people get this idea uh, of blessing, of, of complaining, do they, and not on that aspect of wanting more, is the first gut reaction to, okay, I'm just going to want more, but stop complaining about it, or I'm going to be happy with what I have, which you pose as, of course, just that gratitude. Where do people tend to initially side? I would say that, um, you know, it's either way how you approach it. The thing that I find interesting is we all experience what's called hedonic adaptation. Hedon, heat body adaptation. We adapt to it. And I always explain that it's the easiest way to understand hedonic adaptation is that the first bite of pizza always tastes better than the last bite. Okay. 
And so we adapt to wherever we are. Right now, we live in the healthiest, wealthiest time in human history. And you're one of the wealthiest people on the planet. So am I. However, that doesn't mean we're one of the wealthiest ones in our society. What we've got to do is to begin to appreciate that we already live in an amazing, magical time. Just like you were saying, if you were to project yourself forward into this life, you would think, wow, that's an amazing, magical time. And now you're here and you're going, kids are a challenge. Jobs are a challenge. Everything is a challenge. So to me, it all starts with the chicken and the egg of happy first. And that is first and foremost, stop complaining about what you have. And then that naturally leads towards more gratitude for everything around you. We, I, I always like to explain, I was a little boy, I had bad asthma, like couldn't breathe. And the doctor, old Doc Castles, would lean down and look at me in the face and I can't understand why he can't breathe. Meanwhile, he's blowing cigarette smoke in my face. You know, I used to smoke. Everybody used to smoke and everything was covered with smoke. Today, what we see is that everything is covered with complaining and people complain for only five reasons. But that complaining is is there to keep us away from enjoying the blessings that surround us and attracting more. Because I do think there's a certain part of us that goes, well, you know, I went from here to here and I'm no happier, healthier, et cetera, in my core. I don't feel more connected to my spirit. Then what's the point? Well, in no way, shape or form did I read anything in your book or your message that lent to a conspiracy theory in any, any way. But you just mentioned something that made me think of how screw tape ish the aspect of complaining is. Yeah. I think you said that it helps. It keeps us from enjoying life. What a, what an amazing place that we have fallen to the level of complaint that we have that keeps us away from that. Even though, as you cite, we are most people hearing this are in the top, you know, percentile of abundance and prosperity. And yet here it's, it is, it's nonsensical and yet uh, so simple. Yes. And the thing about it is that we not, I think what sets my message aside from other people that have written about complaining is that other people complain about complaining. (laughs) I take it as a given. It is a way of getting social needs met, unmet social needs met. Mm. And so people complain, as I mentioned, for five reasons. Now, people confuse complaining with what I call a request for accountability. I just ordered a a new rug for my, my condo from Amazon. And when I did, if they had sent the wrong rug and I contacted them and said, hey, you sent me the wrong rug, that's not complaining. That's simply informing them and asking for a, it's a request for accountability. Now, if I had said, you sent me another rug and of course you, it all has to do with your energy behind it. Complaining always has to do with how dare you do this to me the center of the universe. We all think we are. Yeah. So that's, that to me is the distinction. And that when we begin to stop complaining, we automatically feel more grateful. The, the analogy I like to use is that our mind is a manufacturer and our mouth is a customer. 
And every time we complain, the manufacturer is producing a negative thought. The customer buys it, comes out of the mouth as a complaint. When the customer stops buying what the manufacturer is producing, the manufacturer retools and begins to look for happier, healthier things to talk about. And as a side effect, you become a happier person, which is sort of the ultimate goal in life. I want to hit on some of the 10,000 foot view, if you will, of this aspect of complaining. And as you cite, it is that verbal expression, that outward expression of that negative thought. But then it does bring to mind, and I, to you, I'm sure it's elementary, and yet you probably get these elementary questions every day, of why on earth do we have such a high percentage of our thoughts that are Negative, because when I hear that and I step back and look at it, hopefully with a fairly mature view, there's no reason. There's no logical reason for it. And yet I hear you saying that is the human condition. Mm -hmm. I realize it is often mine. So give us a little insight. Give me a little insight as to why. Why is that a reality? It's funny because... Um, there's a stat that we, we think between 45 and 60,000 thoughts a day. That's okay. the, I've read estimates low 45, high 60,000. And whenever I speak, like a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to the golf course owners of America Association. And I said, we think about 45,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day. And how many of the, and do you think most of them are positive or negative? And I have asked that question in China. I've asked it all over the world. And the answer is always negative. So you're right. Why do we do that? Here's my take on it. My take on it is that truly that analogous of the angel and the demon or the good guy and the bad guy, we truly are both of those things. Now we're aspiring to be the better part of ourselves, but that bad side has been called the ego, the human self. And it's there. This is my theory to protect us. It is there to be that animalistic. You know, if I go down here to, to go to the pool and I want to put my, towel on the beach chair, my ego goes, well, somebody else has probably already put the towels there and you should have gone out early. Well, it's trying to actually help me make sure I have a place at the pool. (laughs) The thing is, it does it by alienating me from other people Mm -hmm. and also making, drawing a line between them and me. And so I truly believe that it's one, I think it's something we're evolving from. Two, I think it is something that we have inherited from our parents, etc. Um, there's a lot of people that think ju- that, that, that think uh, uh, complaining rather is just wonderful, and that that's how families connect, and this is how we get attention and how we resolve things. And you know, the people who love you let you complain, and the people who love you should not let you complain because it's extremely bad on your health, your relationships, your career, and pretty much every aspect of your life. What amazes me, real quick, if I'll just throw a stat out with you, because um, a, lot of, a lot of companies, when they hire me in associations to speak, um, they want to know, bottom line, does complaining cost money? Because ultimately, that's what they're hmm. looking for. A recent study found that 1,300 of 1,300 people found that uh, 78% of U.S. employees waste four and a half hours every week 
listening to coworkers complain. That's three-fourths of employees waste 10% of their time. And if you run the numbers based on the average uh, amount of uh, pay in the United States, that means for every 100 employees, you're losing almost a half a million dollars in downtime. Just people listening. And, and the, to me, the frightening stat, though, is that one out of every 11 people quit their jobs because of complaining coworkers. Mm-hmm. And those are always your best people. Your, your, your good people say, I don't like the complaining. Your bad people who aren't contributing or tearing the company down and are complaining more than that four and a half hour average go, this is wonderful. I love all this complaining. So there's a lot of really negative aspects to it. And yet, and that's why what I find is so interesting is that everybody thinks they need to control their minds and then one comes out of their mouth is going to change. And what I discovered in the process of the complaint free program that I sort of created me is that if we change what goes on in our mouth, it literally rewires our brains and makes us happier. Well, you're speaking there of the downtime Yeah. And I think of just health and wellness. We know that in the workplace that it's one thing to have a sick day and be gone. It's another day to be there, but be unhealthy. And the amount of productivity that comes down, which of course just increases all those percentages. Well, again, just to call out the elephant in the room again, from a a high level before we dig in, you know, the aspect of not complaining. I know that a lot of people first off think of, well, wait a minute, is that, what about the, the ability to share those hurts, those fears, those struggles, the, the venting, isn't that healthy? And I think we're hearing some against that these days, but for the span of time, I'm 49 years old, generally that's been thought to be a good thing. So to those people who see this and right away hit that and go, okay, that's, this, that's, not, that's not tenable, speak to that if you would. Well, we're confusing complaining with informing people of our lives. Uh, when we're born, we, it is the natural human condition to have what is known as a primary attachment figure. When we're born, it's our mothers. If our mother leaves or dies, we, it's our father, it's our aunt, it's our grandmother. Then it's our girlfriend, then it's our best friend, then it's our girlfriend again, and then it's our wife. And then hopefully it stays our wife or, you know. Anyway, we always need someone to share what is going on with us in our lives. Now, the question is, do we share that with how dare this happen? And can you believe this happened? It's that negative energy. A complaint is uh, there's complaining and then there's informing people of facts. And sometimes we don't need to tell the person we're in a relationship every single bad thing that happened with us that day. In fact, sometimes some of the best things we can do is just tell people, some of the best things. But yes, we do need that opportunity to, 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 ha- to have someone who knows our ups as our downs, but who also knows our ups. So that's definitely true. Now, this has actually been tested. Brad Bushman, a, a professor at the University of Michigan, did a really interesting test. He took 20 students and put them in individual studies rooms at the University of Michigan. They were volunteers. He said, I want you to write an essay. Anything you want to write, we're going to give you 20 minutes. Just write something. He then went and collected the essays and told the students, we're going to have another student. That's the point. Another student grade your paper. Well, what they did was they wrote at the top of every page, F, worst essay I've ever read in red. The point was to make the students angry. 
They then put the students into uh, rooms, and they left them rather in the rooms, but half the students, they gave pillows and they said, oh, I happen to have a pillow here. They said, here's a pillow. We want you to beat it, curse, scream into it, jump up and down on it, vent your anger, get it out. That's what you've got to do. You got to get it out. And then the other half, they said, we want you to simply sit and feel angry. What does anger feel like? Where is it in your body? What, what, how does it rise and flow? What is it? A, is it a dull ache or a throb? So feel angry. At the end of about another 20 minutes, they went back in and uh, they gave the students, they said, you know what? We feel really bad for how that other student graded your paper, which remember there was no other student. Yeah. So they said, here's a bottle of hot sauce and a glass. Pour as much as you want in the glass and we'll make the other student drink it. The students who vented their anger and therefore should have gotten it out poured three times as much hot sauce in the glass as the students who didn't. Wow. They also did a test where they gave the students words with letters missing. And if I can remember, it was like C-H blank blank E-R blank P blank and K blank. Anyway, it was the students who, who did not vent their anger, who simply felt it, wrote, felt their anger, wrote kite, chose, rope. That was it. They filled in kite, chose, rope. Students who had been allowed to, you know, get it out, wrote kill, choke, rape. Wow. Same letters missing. So my reaction is always, if venting worked, then the biggest complainers would be the happiest people. Yeah. And they're not. They're the least happy people. Well, and that was, I guess, Shanti Feldhahn uh, wrote a book, The 30-Day Kindness Challenge. And that's one of the things that stuck out for me from her talking about venting, that we think about that as releasing steam and studies like what you talked about, which I have not heard those. Those are enthralling, uh, showcase that it's actually increasing that steam. So speak to the, you know, when we look again at that need to be able to share with another person, to be heard, to, to maybe share some of those negative things that are happening to us for, uh, for consolation, for comfort, whatever it may be, the difference between, because again, I don't want people to, I want, or I want people to hear that this is not about stuffing and squelching, which we've no. been fed to think. But it is about, well, is, is it what you say, reframing? Would that be a viable terminology to, for it? Reframing, possibly, but that's even putting more into it. That's trying to okay. put a positive spin on it. I'm simply saying relate the facts. You okay. know, If I'm driving here down Overseas Highway and I have a flat tire and somebody hits my fender, that's a statement of facts. There was never... Kevin, I was driving down Overseas Highway, which I do all the time, okay? Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing. Flat tire. But do you hear that? That's what we want to try and keep out of our relationships. I, I was doing an interview for an Australian magazine a while back, and the guy said, how do you create a happy – that's my worst Australian accent. He said, <laughs> how do you create a happy relationship? And I flippantly said something brilliant. I said – you take two happy people and you put them together. It's the only way that works. So um, we want to inform our spouse, our primary attachment figure about what's going on, but simply making them a dumping ground for the stuff that we feel was a slight to us, mm -hmm. you know? 
So, and it again, it's so relative. My, my I've got a friend who's white, him who makes a ton of money, and his wife collects ten thousand dollar purses. And her biggest upset is when she can't find the right ten thousand dollar purse. That's that's a year's salary in some countries. So, in some ways, I guess it's reframing. Um, but it's really more realizing what do we have to complain about as the song goes. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode with Will Bowen on how much we complain and how much it's harming our lives and what we can do about it. Next, I share a recent experience with Misery Loves Company. It actually happened to me. And Will posits that humans learn to complain before learning to speak. So we'll resume right after I share some great products and services with you. Well, that's a great segue into what I just experienced. So obviously I've got this topic on my mind because our interview is coming up and I've got the book and I was just on a solo business trip, which I seldom do, but ended up in the plane uh, or the airport for uh, a very long time, just between different flights and whatnot, and was aware of generally people keeping to themselves. But if there was any corporate banter, it was generally only with complaining, even if it was in so-called jest or sarcasm. And it brought to mind what, what readily came to mind was the misery loves uh, company, which I looked that up even online. And it was the Wiktionary that says misery is easier to bear when one is not the only one miserable. So going back to you talking about the right. spirit of this, what is it in us that, that needs to, well, I guess we're going to get into that with your five points that needs, well, yeah, but I mean, need to share it. No, I get it. I mean, and, and if you want to take it way, way, way back, uh, there's a belief that early humans, uh, before uh, I was reading an article about a, uh, from a, uh, professor at the university of Louisville, Kentucky. And he said, his conjecture is that we learn to complain before we learn to speak. That human beings, before we had the knowledge to speak, we would grunt and groan as a way of engaging other people to follow us over something that is upsetting. And maybe it's like our tailbone. It just has never fully gone away. (laughs) But I think through the work that you're doing and, of course, the work that Zig did, that's the kind of thing that helps people realize that there's there's just so much more to life and life is so much better. Um, I was watching a TV show the other day and it was a cartoon and the guy said, I want a theme song, you know, and everywhere he walked, he had his theme song. And I thought, we all have our theme song. It's what comes out of our mouth. Are we talking about what's good and growing and healthy and happy? Or are we talking about what's broken? I mean, if I was to flip my screen here and you could see the view I I live on the bay in Key Largo, Florida. I mean, I watch manatee, dolphin, porpoise all of the time. And yet if I walk outside today, I guarantee you one of my neighbors is going to complain about the weather. Uh-huh. <laughs> Come on, people. <laughs> Let's focus on the big things rather than the, you know, the stone in our shoe. Well, in, in part of your 
purpose with uh, well a part a, a major point is is for us to be aware so as i'm thinking about this being a student mm-hmm. myself thinking of my own awareness i th- again to, to to cite shanti feldhan she talked about how often we think we're being kind or we don't think we're being unkind at least and yet she lays out some ways that we are and we just don't know it we don't she talks mm-hmm. about you know how you may not say an unkind word to your kid but you ugh, get the, just that exasperation that's a form of unkindness so in that same frame work now as my awareness has peaked, I'm wondering, hmm, how often and in what ways am I complaining that I'm really not aware of that being a complaint? And maybe it goes back to you to where it may not feel like it, but it comes down to the spirit behind it. Is that just the primary telltale? You know, it, it really kind of is. It has to do with your energy behind it. The dictionary defines complain as to express Grief, pain, or discontent. Now, it makes sense. If you come up and stomp on my foot, I'm going to express grief, pain, or discontent. But do I pick up the phone and call 20 other people and tell them Kevin stomped my foot? That's complaining. I always say it is not complaining to speak directly and only to the person who is involved. It's not about shutting up and sucking up whatever the world sends your way. It's about practicing healthy communication skills by speaking to the person who can resolve your issue. Mm-hmm. Eckhart Tolle says, it's not complaining to tell the waiter your soup is cold and needs to be heated up. If you stick to the facts, which are always neutral, how dare you serve me cold soup? That is complaining. Okay, that's a big statement right there that I don't want people to miss because I, of course, read it and had the benefit of that, that the facts, I'm writing this down here, facts are always neutral. So neutral. in that analogy you just shared about that, and you said we often think about that or, or we, we, sh- we voice these complaints as this is unfair, how dare this happen to me? And I took that right out of your book, that it uh, well, you, you went on to say it's as if the complainer feels attacked by the actions of someone or something and counterattacks with complaints. Complaints are counterattacks for perceived injustices. Okay, folks, I just quoted that's directly out of Will's book. And to me, I, of course, just recognize that it's victim speak. And yes. how did we get to the place of feeling so victimized that we're consistently? Again, it just, I, I'm, you, you really caused me not, not only my own awareness, but to really ponder where did we get to this human condition? Because that even goes to another place of victimhood, which I think I want that to be. And I think it is. That's a red flag um, uh, word to everybody listening to this show is victim. None of us want to be a victim. I think we right. all know the dangers uh, and, and negatives of being a victim. And yet how often do we share just like that, that something as this is unfair, how dare this happen to me going back to the plane? I think you even mentioned a plane story. It seems like everyone has that of the delay or the whatever. And we are, it's like a personal affront. This happened. Yes. And, and if it's not the person did God is God thwarting me. And when did we become such victims? And, and, and is that something you see as your message is expanding, but is that something that you see growing as a literal question? Are we growing in our culture to toward a victim perspective mentality? 
I think that it is easier to be a victim today than ever before, because I can be a victim of the president or I can be a victim of Congress, depending on my political standpoint, based on what I put in social media and whom I get to agree with me or whomever attacks me. My Angela, when I went to her home and presented her the six millionth complaint free bracelet, said something really cool. And I didn't realize she was quoting one of her own books to me. But the quote is, um, complaining lets a bully know that there's a victim in the neighborhood. I love that. Complaining lets a bully know there's a victim in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There are always people in situations that are going to bully you, that are going to try and push you. When you complain, you are actually inviting those situations because just you've tied it together really well. And that is that complaining is totally victim speak. Here I am, come and victimize me. Uh, Why do we do that? I know for myself, just like when I was a little boy, and and we'll talk about the five reasons, but when I was a little boy, um, to say I love myself my mother would have possibly popped me on top of the head. That was one of the worst things you could say. That's bragging. That is not good, etc. We're okay with complaining about the weather in Key Largo when it's February and it's 82 degrees, which I don't understand. We're okay with that, but we're not okay with walking around and saying, Man, it is gorgeous here. I moved here because it's paradise. Don't you agree it's paradise? It's absolutely beautiful. People will look at you like, that's not cool. You're you're bragging. Bragging is one of the worst things that people can do. So I, I just think there's a number of reasons that tend to lead us to uh to speak. And I think there's a um there's a story by Pearl Buck in The Good Earth, uh, which is, of course, about a Chinese peasant, and his wife has a son, and the son is considered a great blessing, whereas the child, a a girl, is considered to be the exact opposite, opposite, a great curse. And whenever they carried the boy outside, they would cover him up and say, oh, it is only a little girl, it is not a boy, like they're kidding God somehow. It It was kind of funny. But that idea of even speaking how great things are, you might lose it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of us that fear that as well. So it's easier to complain about it on the idea we might lose it than feel great about it and for somehow think that it might get taken away. Well, I want to ask about that. I have a lot of investment business that happens in the health and wellness arena. And recently I have another podcast called The True Life Show. and We did one on really the social pressures of living a healthier lifestyle, the very real social Mm -hmm. pressures of eating differently, of, you know, taking a lunchtime run instead of the uh, fast food, you know, foray with your coworkers. And some of those, not minimizing those, those are very real and can derail people's uh, real efforts to be healthy just because of those social pressures. Okay. Right to here as well. And you know, this is happening every day. If it's not in families, it's happening with coworkers back to the workplace that you already referenced. And when that griping is going on, when that complaining is going on, when that gossiping is going on to be the standout that doesn't participate in it and is one thing to actually speak against it, a positive, which you just talked about, you're likely to get hit or ostracized. And 
I don't know if I have a question in there other than just <laughs> what I mean, people, but they're hearing this and they're going, Oh, I get it. But how do you, that's a very real, you know what you're going to be right now. I am ostracized by people. And so are you simply because we're different. I, I totally, I'm vegan dude. And there are, and I have been a vegan for 11 years and still to this day, there are people that look at me like I'm absolutely not only crazy, but I'm evil. I'm somehow going to hurt them by my lifestyle. Which You're makes, judgmental because of that stance. Then I judge them, which yeah. is by, it, it proves that they are judging me because I really don't care if you want to eat this ball, put it in your mm. mouth and swallow it. I really don't care. But I care what goes into my mouth mm. all the time. Um, so I think that people like attracts like, you know, and we've got to accept that with our choices, we're going to attract some people and we're going to repel some people. Now, we if we want to be healthy, then we're going to have to get used to attracting healthy people, which means hanging out where healthy people are. Yeah. If we want to hang out with negative people, we're going to hang out with negative people. And one of the things I try not to do, like I was sitting down here at sunset and there was probably eight to 10 people under the gazebo. Every night, literally people gather for the sunset here. It's a big deal. Anyway, there was a half dozen people who live here that were just complaining and griping and complaining. And you know what I said? Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing. It's not my job to get a steak eater to eat vegetables and it's not my job to, it, 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 it's, it's that piety of trying to change people again. You need to first work on yourself and be the example, you know, as, uh, as Ben Franklin said, the best sermon is a good example. That's, that's what we should do. Yeah. Well, you've referenced it a couple of times and I want to get there because to me, it's, it's one of the most informative, educational, convicting aspects of the book is the why do we complain? Understanding, again, why we do what we do. And I think we'd all love to have a tablet that fell out of the sky from God and just say, Kevin, this is why you do what you do. Now you know why, and you can go forth and hopefully do differently with your newfound awareness. So you have your uh, acronym, GRIPE, which uh, I, you know, I got to tell you, I too, the first uh, uh, instance I, or experience I had with you was your, the video. It was, uh, you know, a, a talk you did in front of a bunch of people is about 56 minutes long. I know that because I watched it while on my, on my stationary bike. And, uh, and that one was what stood out. It's easy to grasp onto. I don't think any of it is I don't know if I, I want to say, I mean, it is revelatory, but in a sense, it's not. It should be common sense. But my gosh, to realize that this is what I'm falling to every day. So I want to go through them. So why we complain? And folks, he has five things. Of course, this is really outlined in the book, but I want to hit on it here. Uh, gripe. And the first one is get attention. And it does seem so odd that we would choose complaining. Well, you just mentioned it a minute ago, as opposed to, and again, we don't want to brag, but why would we choose complaining? Uh, over bragging or at least gratitude, and yet misery loves company. Okay, <laughs> you said it yourself. <laughs> misery loves company, and misery not only loves company, it feels validated by it. Mm. And complaining is a non threatening way to connect with other people. Okay. You're upset about something. I'm upset about something. Let's be upset together. Now, I may be upset about something, or I may feel strongly 
religiously or I may feel strongly health-wise or whatever, those are territories that might cause us to fight or disagree. But if the people in my uh, building are complaining about how slow the elevators are, yeah, that's right. You know, it's a, uh, it's simply a way of getting attention. Human beings, and I, I read this book, Sapiens, and I loved it. And it presents us as, you can talk about taking a long view, you know, that, that we're basically, we're, we're primates and we want to connect with other primates. And one of the safest, easiest ways to do it is to just get attention by griping, just talking about what is wrong. And I always say that's why it's so uncomfortable when we get in an elevator yeah. because we want to connect, you know, and then somebody will complain about the weather or sports team and then, oh, you know, okay, everything's good. We, we got attention myself because I don't want people to think, talk about falling out of the sky, that I was the most positive person in the world. I was probably one of the most negative people in the world. And I complained to get attention. I would always come up, if there was bad news, I would run up to tell people, you know? Yeah. And uh, if, my, if I call my mom on the weekends, which I always call my mom on the weekends, my list started with every bad thing that happened that week, every sale I lost, every issue. And because it, was, it would be a way of getting sympathy and getting attention. So, yeah, that's the first reason we do it. And I think, honestly, that's probably the most ubiquitous reason. It's simply, it's easy. We don't realize the damaging effects of complaining. And so we just, yeah, let's do it. And that's, that's what we default to. Uh, well, it's in, totally intriguing, Will, because it's almost as if you're showcasing that in our culture, it's almost the easiest way to connect. If it's, if it's threat, if it's, it's non-threatening, complaining is non-threatening, which then of course leaves me kind of a gas at the, at the reality then that gratitude is threatening. That's just weird. That, that, it is weird. It's not, it is weird. Yep. It is weird. And if, and I literally, um, I was in Miami yesterday and uh, the last couple of days and two days ago, it was raining and, uh, cloudy. Uh, and then the next day the weather was beautiful uh, I thought both days were beautiful, to be honest with you. They just present different opportunities. Right. And so that next day when the weather was 80 and perfect and there was a light breeze and no humidity, I was saying to people, isn't it a beautiful day? And their people's response was, it's a lot better than it was yesterday. <laughs> and it's wow. just that simply... Can you can we agree with how terrible yesterday was, brother? Let's complain about yesterday to connect us to get attention, and uh, it's just it's it is something that's instilled in us. But you know what? And we haven't really gotten to my complaint-free challenge, and that's great. We will, I know, but I believe we can set all of this aside. I believe we can learn to communicate. To, with people and get attention and get our psychological and social needs met without talking about what's wrong. And that's just where I was going to go. Cause as you're talking about the weather, so I was just on my, I talked about on my trip last week, it was to Milwaukee and I live in the high mountains of Colorado. And one of the things we brag about is the 300 plus days of sunshine. And it seems like there's a rare day that we don't, at least for some portion of the day, get this most amazing blue sky and sunshine. And I'm here a lot for that reason. So I'm in Milwaukee 
and did a lot of texting with, with my wife, just saying what's going on at a conference that I was at. And I, t- I did, I mean, I could go back now and audit myself and there was a lot of positive. I also chose for some reason, well, no, you're telling me why, uh, to tell her how overcast it was. And, and I actually said these words, apparently the sun makes very, it's like Elvis. It makes very rare, appearance, rare appearances here. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking now, why? What, what did I add to my relationship with my wife? What did I add to her spirit for the day to offer that? And my thought would tend to be, I, you know, well, it, it didn't add anything, it's benign, but I hear you saying, no, it's not. It, it, I shared a spirit. Go ahead. I can see yeah, that. you shared yeah. a spirit that was judgmental of the, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah. Except the weather is really lousy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. There's the, there is that dichotomy. And the good news is you're normal. You're, you're like everyone else and probably a lot more positive, op- optimistic, and express fewer complaints than most people. You know, most people would say this, can you believe it? Here I am, and it's cloudy the entire time. Of course, it's following me around. It'll probably be, I live in the high desert with 300 days of, you know, sunshine. Probably when I get home, the clouds will follow me, or if you land there and it happens to be cloudy. Well, of course. Mm -hmm. I always say, of course, is the greatest indicator of whether you're a positive or negative person. If some every day of your life something's going to go wrong, and if you go, of course, of course, you're you're saying God send me more, you know. But if something goes right and you say, of course, you're also saying God send me more, send me the good stuff. You know what? I'm going to ask for some live coaching. Okay, can I do that? You can invoice me later. Yeah, absolutely. And ask, because on that, I'm citing something that I did that now I look back and go, what, what, what purpose did that have? Now, here's another one that I did share that, that does have a purpose, but I want some coaching and how I could have done it better, probably. Okay. I was there. One of my hotels was on uh, Lake Michigan. It was uh, the, the Milwaukee Bay area. Mm-hmm. And I could look over there. So I went on a walk one evening and looked over and saw people running. I love to run. I would have loved to have run. That would have been food for my soul to be out there by the water and do that run. I was authentically uh, disappointed that I could not. I'm dealing with some plantar fasciitis right now that's mm, been really terrible. chronic and and just it, it's it is it's really frustrating. And in that scenario, I didn't get. That's generally how I experience an area when I go there. Is I go for a run. That's what orients me. It gives me a feel of the place. I get to experience it in a way that gives again food for my soul. So to share that with my wife. Well, one, if that's a complaint, should I have not shared it? Just don't. It's a negative. I did, not way? at all. Everything okay. you just said, I was like, you just stated 100% facts okay. to me. I love doing yoga and going to the gym. And I've had some herniated discs in my neck. And I simply have not been able to do it. If I go to the gym or go buy a yoga class, and I was to tell, you know, my daughter or somebody, hey, I just saw this wish I could go. It's a, hmm. it's a lamentation at most. I mean, it's not how dare this happen to me. And of course, this is going to last forever. I, I think you're being a little uh, hard on yourself. I think um, n- n- not everything is an either or. You know, well, I, go- think, I think you were stating facts. So okay, well, it goes back well. to that. I, I'm being aware, so I'm trying to, to mm-hmm. ascertain where I'm at here. So maybe the, asp- the reality that I share that this is just a personal 
disappointment. There's no blame. There's no bad spirit about it. But yeah, gosh, I'm, I'm a little, I'm disappointed. I wish I could go out there and run. It would be so great. I can feel that. That doesn't feel bad. It doesn't feel like a negative spirit. That is a, that is a fact and even a, a feeling, but uh, the spirit behind it. Okay, I'm tracking. Negative would be, how dare those people be out there running, having a good time when I have plantar fasciitis. Right, right. Or shake my fist at God. Why did you do this to me? Um, yeah. Okay, number two on gripe, on our, on, our four, on our five reasons, remove responsibility. And, you know, as I, as I read through that, I mean, I can't imagine – Many, if any, any people would consciously complain, trying to remove personal responsibility, like to make that decision. And yet, but you're, you're saying maybe so. Oh, huge. Yeah, no, I mean, they, you know, they don't do it consciously. What they do is they contemplate the outcome and they use the complaints to get them there simply because complaints are a socially acceptable way of getting off the hook. If, if I'm asking one of my assistants to do something for me and I say, John or Sheila, I need something by next Tuesday at three o'clock. And John says, well, you know, well, I would love to get that for you, but and then after the but, he starts complaining. My internet's been running super slow. I don't think I can get the information you need by that time. I'm going to have to connect this person with this person. And you know how difficult they can be. So those complaints are a way of letting me know I'm not doing it, dude. <laughs> He's saying yeah. I'm not doing it or I'm not doing it in the time. I, and I want to be removed from responsibility. Please, Will, let me off the hook. Don't make me do it in the time frame you say. Kids are, you say you're a dad? Watch your kids. Clean up your room or blah, 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 blah. Well, dad, I'm doing my homework. Do your homework. Well, dad, I've got to do this. Or, you know, I, it's always something else that is bringing it back to what you said earlier, making them a victim of the world. The world is making them incapable to achieve or accomplish what it is they want to do or accomplish in that time frame. Because they're a poor victim. They have to remove themselves from responsibility. I think it's pretty common. And I, we, you're, none of us want to be culpable. I can't say that I ever want to be. And yet, going back to the victim thing, if I'm not, then my power is elsewhere. I have no yes. control. My power, and I don't want to be that either. Um, removing responsibility. That, that one's a, that one, well, all these step on toes. All right. Yeah, I'll, it definitely does. And the thing about this one is that, um, if, if I honestly, uh, for example, I'm working with my team on creating a complaint-free trainer program so people can speak and do what I do and, and actually get paid with my program. And this past weekend, I wanted to go to Miami. I didn't want to work on this. And I could have said, hey, guys, I've got you know something else or I'm not feeling well or whatever like that. I'm trying to remove myself from responsibility. Why not speak the truth? The truth will set you free. Why not say, hey, guys, I have an opportunity to go lighthouse touring in Biscayne Bay this weekend. This is not time sensitive. My part will be done Monday or Tuesday, but I, or Tuesday or Wednesday, but I'm taking this weekend off. And that's exactly what I said. And you know what they said? Oh, thank gosh, we don't want to work this weekend either. It's President's Day. So mm -hmm. it's amazing how when we're honest instead of, being a victim when we say this is the terms on which I'm going to greet life that life goes okay sounds great 
You know, on that victim aspect, Will, it's something that I've been playing with. And I think I talked about it on a show, but just in my, in myself and in my family talking about is, can we start saying instead of the, I need to, or I have to, which, you know, is the common verb, yeah. I got to go to lunch. I got to get to a meeting, need to pick the kids up, need to have to, and instead rephrase them all two ways. Either I want to, or at least I'm going to. Right. Or I get to. Or I get to. That's even yeah. more empowering probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember one of the things I loved about Wayne Dyer was he hated doing the business aspect of speaking and stuff as much as I did, you know, sitting down and doing your receipts and stuff like that every month and QuickBook and everything like that. And yet it's something that I say, I've got to do this. It's the 15th. And now I go, I get to do this and I have software that helps me and it meets, moves me through. And if I make a mistake, it tells me. And so far I have not died from doing my accounting and I don't think I ever will. I've made a few mistakes, but I found experts who I pay to fix them. So yeah, it's, it's, it's so often it's a get to, you know, my, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to throw something 100% against that. Okay. My daughter is 23 years old, and she's got to go to the gym, right? Her cousin Dalton was in a car accident three weeks ago and is going to be a quadriplegic for the rest of his life wow. and will never breathe on his own or speak, and he will never get to go to the gym. Yeah. So who's right? Wow. It's all perspective. It's significant. Well, here's another one. The next one in gripe, inspire envy. And that one, of course, you talk about, uh, you know, criticism, criticizing others and gossip, talking about uh, someone else in essence, but in your, and I'll let you speak to that, but your, the way that you address it, or you counsel us to address it, I, I never would have thought of, and yet is, is brilliant. And Understanding the underlying need. Well, I'll let you explain it. I'm not going to botch it up here. Well, I hope underlying I explained need. it in the same brilliant way you read it, so I'll give it a try. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it really blows me away that um, we have a social need to be admired. That's the reason that we drive, some people drive certain cars, et cetera, or marry certain people or have certain jobs. You know, you can get paid certain amount of money to do one job or another, but do you want to be a mortician or do you want to be a, an engineer or whatever, you know, it, it, because of a, a stigma aligned to it. So we have a need to be admired. So against that need to be admired, we have social pressure saying, don't you ever brag. Don't talk about your good stuff. Don't, you know, if you get a Rolex watch, don't, you know, don't go around showing people your Rolex watch. But you can sit there and go, darn it, what's the matter? You know, this Rolex that I spent $28,000 for, it's supposed to, when I move my wrist, it's supposed to automatically wind itself. But doggone it, it just doesn't. And in that moment, they know that you own a $28,000 watch. They're trying to inspire envy. That's that I in gripe. And the other aspect of that is we simply complain about other people to make ourselves look better. We think. What's interesting is that a study was done recently that found that if I complain about Kevin and how Kevin does something, 
to somebody else, the other person is not going to take a negative view of Kevin. They're going to take a negative view of me and yeah. also presume at a psychological level, I have the same negative attribute I'm complaining about. So it, it blows back in our face. It seems like it makes us, and I always joke that they're, they're, if you don't, we don't complain about people who are like us. We complain about people who aren't like us. And if you want to test it, look at your driving. You know, if you're a slow, cautious driver, you hate people that drive super fast. And if you're a super fast driver, you hate the slow. And here where I live now, it is a study in contrast. You've got the people that are 80 years old who say, you know, I, I can drive in the middle lane 20 miles an hour because I'm retired and by golly, that's what I get to do. And then you got the people who grew up watching Grand Theft Auto and are mm -hmm. literally doing 120 miles an hour. And all they can agree on is they really don't like each other because their way is the right way. Mm -hmm. So we complain to inspire envy. The, the, way, the way around that, which yes. you were going to ask you, about. I want, you, I want you to speak to how you address I call that, that when somebody's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Compliment the opposite. Yes. When someone is complaining about the way this always shows up is like you'll have a meeting at work. It's eight o'clock in the morning and. Tom will look around and say, well, I see Julie's not here and it's 8.02. Well, Tom is not trying to point out Julie's not there. You're a sentient being. You can see that. Mm -hmm. Tom is trying to make sure you know he is, he there. is there. He's bragging. So what you want to do is compliment the opposite of what he's complaining about. You know what I like about you, Tom? You're always on time. So if he's complaining about a negative attribute about somebody else, you know, you always want to compliment them for not having that negative attribute. Yeah. Now I get some pushback for that one because people say, well, they simply shouldn't complain. And if they're going, you know what? It shouldn't rain sometimes, but it does. You just carry an umbrella with these people. You just know what to say. Yeah. I just thought it was ingenious. And again, I appreciate the, uh, you know, the call to us to, to maturely or care for that person enough to feed that hurt in them, in essence, that lack, that void, that need for their own affirmation, which we all have, and to have grace for that. Well, the next one. Instead so, of saying, shut up, Tom. Exactly. <laughs> or, or thinking, or you can see it on your face, just shut up, Tom. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Well, power is the next one. And your definition there is to purchase your loyalty. I'll just ask you to, to, to mm -hmm. uh, explain that out for us. You see power in everywhere where, wherever two or more people are gathered, uh, complete people complain for power. And, um, what I notice about power complaining for power is it's what I call enrage and engage. In other words, if I come up to you and we meet there in the high desert and have coffee and I say, hey, Kevin, I've started this new nonprofit. I think it's wonderful. It's going to change the world. I'd like to have you a part of it. Well, you may choose to join me on it. You may not. You may think I've, it's a great idea, but I'm too busy, whatever. So I've ceased to engage you. But if we're sitting there and I stand up and stomp you on the foot, and run away, you're going to run after me. I've engaged you. Uh -huh. When we complain, we engage other people at a new level. 
Um, our current president is a master of this, and I'm not going to get political. But what he's good at is he knows that by enraging people, he keeps them engaged. He never lets his base settle down. He masters every news cycle better than any president who has ever lived. He's always got something to say about everything that upsets people on one or both sides. So they're totally engaged. And that makes him a powerful political figure. We see it in families. People complain for power in families trying to get, I had two aunts. They, they both died now, but when they were in the 80, their eighties, aunt Charlin would complain about aunt Betsy and aunt Betsy would complain about aunt Charlin. And like there was ultimately going to be some great reckoning where God would say, yeah. Everybody line up over here, you know, and really what they were trying to do is get me, my sisters, my, my brothers, rather my cousins on their side to give them this illusion of power. Power always comes in human numbers. That was something I, I thought was really interesting from the book Sapiens. Power always comes in human numbers. The more people you have, the more power you have. That is, um, yeah, that's controversial in a lot of families, the workplaces everywhere. Uh, and again, I've just never perceived the nuances, which is the point of your message and this book. Really interesting, yeah, on, on Trump. I, I am always enamored every day at how much he commands the headlines. Um, yeah. It's, it's unprecedented, obviously. Whether yelling about football or the girl or the Boy Scouts or whatever. He, and it's not, it, and it's not always, some people say everything he says is bad. Sometimes it's almost kind of neutral, but he's always got something to say. <laughs> and that's the key, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, the last one is E, under gripe, excuse poor performance to excuse I'll own it to excuse my poor performance back to where we talked about none of us want to be uh, at blame we don't want to be culpable and to use these excuses and the word you use of course is justification and that is a word that's comes to mind for me often again culturally it seems like we are in an age to me maybe everybody's thought this for all time but it seems like we're in such a dramatic age right now of justification. It feels like the justification age. Everything is justified and excusing our poor performance instead of owning it. Well, we're we're, we're back to an aspect of of victimhood uh, again. Yes. Isn't that amazing? I was wondering, as you were talking, I was like, he's going to come right back to victimhood. Yeah. Yeah, you totally did. I mean, I always joke that, you know, if you're a golfer, you've never hit a bad golf shot, but you've had people sneeze during your backswing. You've had poor the course conditions you've had, you know, it's never your fault. And that's what we want to say because maintaining face is pivotal to us. Yeah. And the, the R in gripe, remove responsibility is if I give you a task, you don't want to do it. So you complain. So I'll let you off the hook In excuse poor performance. You have done a task and you've bombed it. And you want to get off the hook by blaming somebody else. I remember I installed a door on my home one time and it was a security door and I installed it just terribly. But of course, in my head, I'm going, well, they should have supplied better directions and and they should have given better screws and I shouldn't have gone to the hardware store. And, you know, this shouldn't have snapped off and whatever. And the thing was, I just didn't follow it right. And so 
we want to excuse our poor performance by blaming everything except ourselves. And that's why I think in a business context, the magic phrase, and I use this with my employees all the time. I actually had a company want to hire me to come and speak and their email accidentally went into the junk folder and one of my guys missed it. So we missed the opportunity. I found it three months later and I'm like, that's a whole lot of money we could have had. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I said, how are you, how do you plan to do better next time? That's the response when somebody complains to excuse their poor performance. What we tend to do, especially with our kids were, well, why didn't you think about the fact that you needed yellow poster board and it's nine o'clock at night? You know, how do you plan to do it next time? Because nobody's ever defensive about next time, but we tend to defend, we'll always defend this time. But when we move it from the real to the hypothetical and say, how do you plan to do it next time? Well, next time I plan to check the junk folder every single day, Will, and this will never happen. Great. That's the outcome I'm looking for anyway. I'm curious with this, Will, on so, – so here we are becoming aware. And for folks listening, you know, we're, we're not even halfway through the book uh, at this point, but you, that's why you got to go get it. Uh, but the uh, – you know, looking at this as just a habit, and you talk about that so much. This is just our cultural habit, our, our, our human habit. So now if we say, okay, now I am – aware, my thought was, gosh, what is harder? Is it harder just to stop the habit or is it harder not to feed this innate need to complain? I don't know if that's fair to separate the two. And some of it came. Sounds to me like an honest, uh, like a obvious answer. And that is if it's an innate need, it's better to take the other route. You know, if it's an innate need to try and find other ways to redirect it. And the other thing that that was really, because you know, my story, people think, oh, Will came up with this, wrote this book on not complaining. And then he used the bracelet as a hook. And then he got on Oprah and it sold 4 million copies. That's totally backwards. We handed out these bracelets for years. And then I was on the Oprah show. And as a result of that, I got a book deal. So it is this it is absolutely innate with us. I think the reason that this took off, because I never set to do this, is that two reasons. Number one, there's too much complaining in the world, and everyone will agree with that. And the second thing is the world isn't the way we would like it to be. And pretty much everybody agrees with that. And the blinding flash of the obvious that I got was that the two are correlated. And we are so busy focusing on saying this is the way it is, et cetera, et cetera, that uh, that's the way we believe. And it's purely cultural. It, it is and it can be and is changing. I mean, we've set 12 million bracelets around the world and still do 100,000 a year with no advertising. So... The world is changing. It's just like a, they say it takes a long time to change a yacht, to change the course of a yacht in the ocean. So that's kind of where we are. Well, I want to talk about the psychology then of the, of the challenge, but you know, back to my, what I initially just asked a moment ago, it it was now that I am aware, more aware Mm -hmm. of this, what I'm also aware of highly is realizing that even with the bracelet on, it'd be better if I was wearing short sleeves, but it's cold here. Uh, even with that on about how the day will go on, hours will go on and I'll just become aware of the bracelet of the thought and realize I, I, I have been so unaware 
of my speech, of what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. I'm going to have to go back and think in retrospect and think, have I been complaining or not? I'm not at the point right now of being cognizant of my moment, which I know you get to in the book of mm-hmm. having the times of just think before you speak, audit before you speak, which is just, that's, I, I don't know that that is natural for anyone. Uh, and no. So yeah. No, it's not natural for anyone. It's it's speak, think, speak instead of think, speak, think. And uh, no, it's it is not natural for anyone. It's it's quite normal for us to go through it. And and you know, I handed out two hundred and fifty bracelets one Sunday and said, "Hey, everybody, put this on your wrist. It's a mindfulness tool. Every time you catch yourself complaining, simply switch it to the next wrist." And start over your goals to go 21 days in a row. And I thought I was done. I mean, I wasn't even planning to do this myself. But because of the media attention, everybody was looking at me and as to how I was doing it and everything like that. And I realized it's extremely difficult. It's extremely Mm -hmm. difficult to catch it. But what I do find interesting is that simply simply having the bracelet on your wrist will make you go, Am I complaining? Did I complain? Mm-hmm. It's a reminder as well as a mindfulness tool to, to anchor that idea. And the worst part, which is what you're finding out right now, is I always say it's like, help, I'm complaining and I can't stop. Mm-hmm. You already were, but now you're aware of it. And yeah. that's a pretty difficult place to be. So as the old song goes, when you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> yeah, the first, first couple of days, my reminder was the end of the evening as I'm getting ready for bed and realizing, oh, there's that mm. bracelet. How'd I do today? Well, so talk about the, uh, the, the details of the challenge or more so just what the point of the challenge is. And to me, it comes back to what we so often come to here on the show is we're talking about brain training. Uh, in, mm-hmm. so many, in so many ways of training ourselves and the way that you are having us help develop that awareness and therefore change the habit is through the challenge. So give us the, uh, give us the culmination of that. Yeah. So my, my idea was that Sunday when I was doing this talk was to give people these bracelets and every time you catch yourself complaining, and that's the key, is to ask yourself sort of constantly, am I complaining? And every time you catch yourself, you take it off one wrist, you move it to the other wrist. And the interesting thing is your goal may be to go 21 days in a row without complaining. But since the average person complains 15 to 30 times a day and has no awareness they're doing it, you know, I always joke complaining is like, bad breath. You notice it kind of coming out of somebody else's mouth, but not when it comes out of your own. Right, right. The purpose of this is to make you aware of it, which is a very difficult thing. But over time, by simply becoming aware, we tend to augment our behavior. That has been proven time and time again. We're aware we go to sleep. We're aware we go to sleep. When we can be as aware as we possibly can, we ultimately can change our behavior. So I handed out these bracelets, and uh, because of the media watching me, I stayed with it. And it took me four and a half months, and I always say that I was the Roger Bannister of the complaint-free movement. It was Mm -hmm. the fact that I stayed with it and proved it could be done that other people did it. And when those people did it, 
that's when I found out how much it improved your health and it improved relationships. And a woman flew from Seattle to Kansas city to hug me because she and her husband were getting a divorce. And then they decided not to complain to each other or about each other, tore up the divorce and went on. So, um, it was pretty amazing thing. It's, it's, it is that we are so asleep, you know, of those 45,000 thoughts we think every day, they say that most of them all, but like 12 to 15% are the same thoughts we thought the day before. Mm -hmm. So we're really automatons. And this takes an extremely destructive thing, complaining and makes us aware of it over time. As long as we don't, take it too seriously. That's my big thing. I'm always like, this is a game. Um, uh, people will, I'll see them going, I gotta complain. My bra- I've changed my bracelet. And I'm like, no. Oh, I complained. I now see that. I didn't see that a year ago and I see it now and I want to be grateful for that and go, oh, okay. Okay. I complained. I got it. Totally. So, mm-hmm. oh, and by the way, can I interject one more little quick thing? If you catch yourself complaining, use your butt. <laughs> and here's what I mean. The word but, B-U-T, is an erasure word, you know? If I say, hey, Kevin, you know, I really like you, but you mm-hmm. know I don't like you. Mm-hmm. If you catch yourself complaining, before you move your bracelet, say, yeah, it's probably going to rain today, but I live in one of the most beautiful places in the world, and I'm super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. So. So there's your lifesaver right there, huh? Yeah, right the there. Complaint saver. I, you know, and I, as I'm as I'm in the middle of this now, I thought, yeah, it's going to take me uh, to to achieve the 21 days. It's going to take that long or more for me just to complete a day where I am aware enough of what I'm saying to even yes. count and and uh, switch or not. Um, just significant. And that's why you're here. And I could talk about this continually, folks. I mean, it is, it's something to, this is not a book to read and to be become just aware of. It is to study, to implement and to ultimately digest. And I've been talking about with my, uh, this with my family, I'll talk about it more now. And I want us to do it together. Um, thankful I got my bag of, I don't know how many, 10 or something of the 10 bracelets. Yeah. So that'll just cover my crew and uh, be significant. I'll be eager to report back to you on this. And you know, that is one of the things you talk about is doing this with someone, having a partner, have somebody accountable with, whether it's a spouse, a family member, somebody at work, whatever. Uh, And I think that is profound. That's what I'll be doing because it's the best way for me to even become aware so I can have some help when somebody says, "Eh, you know, you might switch switch that bracelet there, buddy. Uh, And I've got some people who will do that in love. uh, And I'm grateful. But thank you for what you've done. Yes. Thank you. And I wanted to tell you as well, and I would love for everyone in the, your audience to buy my book. And I also have a ebook called gripe G R I P E, which covers almost everything we've talked about. It's only about 23 pages and I have sent you the link so that you can give it to your listeners for free. Just share it as a PDF. Normally we charge for it with our business clients, but I wanted to give it to you so that you could in turn give that to your listeners to, uh, help synopsize what we've, we've talked about. And then if they like it, they can go buy the book if they want. Well, thank you. I will accept that. And uh, on their behalf, thank you as well. You're so very I'll, I'll let everyone know. But thank you for the time. Thank you what you've done and are doing to bring this message to us. I'm grateful to be a part of your effort to uh, yeah, change the world as we know it. Thank you, Will. My honor. Thank you, Kevin. 
Well, such a significant message. I really, really encourage you to take your own complaint-free challenge. Do it with a family member or a friend. You can engage again in Will's stuff like I have. Go to acomplaintfreeworld.org, acomplaintfreeworld.org, and you'll find Will's book there, A Complaint-Free World. Uh, You can find it there again or, of course, anywhere you buy books. Well, coming up in episode 764, lifestyle changes that produced positive results. Nothing changes till something changes, right? That's an oft quoted saying. But if you sit down right now and look at your life and where you want to progress or where you're dissatisfied and take out a pen and paper and really ask yourself what needs to change, it's just a profound exercise in question. It's always convicting to me to consider the cost if I don't change something as well as another way to look at it. Am I okay if nothing in my life changes over the next six months or this time next year? Am I okay if I'm just status quo, same place I have been. And and yeah, I do believe it's healthy to find contentment in our present circumstances. So this is not an exercise in ingratitude, but I think most people listening and surely for myself, we feel the responsibility to be continually growing and refining ourselves. So what I have for you in this show is a two minute clip from Zig Ziglar on just this making life changes for the better. And from his message, I posted this question on Facebook. What is the most recent change you've made in your daily routine that has produced positive results in your life or the lives of others around you? Uh, Many responses, which we actually had enough. We grouped some in categories, and I think you'll get really inspired to hear these. Tom Ziegler and I read through them. Well, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. Mm 